0: Welcome to the Expository Word Podcast, where you can hear classic recorded messages from Kimber Kaufman. Throughout these messages, Kimber faithfully follows the text to deliver God's message and to practically apply it to life.
1: What we are supposed to do to live out our Christianity is make every effort, I mean make every effort, to live at peace with all men.
0: We trust you will enjoy listening to these classic recordings. And in just a moment, we will join our teacher with the message. We believe that some of our listeners may have additional recorded messages from Kimber at home. If you have a cassette and would consider sharing the recording with our audience, please contact us through our email at theexpositoryword at gmail.com. Today, Kimber continues teaching through the word. And our hope is that you will be challenged and encouraged by listening in. Let's turn now to Kimber.
1: Ephesians chapter 4, in your Bibles, if you would turn there. One thing I am very grateful for is this. If I could do anything at all, just if I could just absolutely write my own ticket and do anything at all with my life, that I wouldn't change what I'm doing. I cannot wait to preach through Ephesians chapter 4. I mean that. I, I, in fact, I've been, it's been an unusual time in my life. I was in Elkhart at a conference. We had a weekend retreat last weekend. I was at a conference in South Carolina all this week. And I, every time I hear anything, I keep thinking, yeah, that's going to tie when I get to Ephesians 4, such and such. And I mean that. If you could just do whatever you want. I wonder how many people you know that could say that. But if you could do anything you want, it would be to preach through Ephesians chapter 4. I wish Sunday came, uh, while we're in this, you know, eight times a month. Um, maybe we could make up some new policy or something. Because I, I, I tremendously anticipate preaching in Ephesians. In fact, when we get to the fourth chapter, it's something new. That's, this is the how-to of Christian living. We've talked about doctrine and theology, and after all of that, Paul says this. Look, live worthy of the calling you've received. Live out your Christianity. Now, so far, this calling has included things like this. The fact that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing which is in Christ Jesus. He has adopted us. He has predestined us. And because of this, we also know that one time we were enslaved, we were depraved, we were trapped, and we were doomed by our own sinful nature, and yet by his grace and his mercy, he saved us, and he even made us his workmanship, his poetic masterpiece. And then we also know this, that it wasn't just the Jews that were near, but even us that were far off, the Gentiles, remember the wall around the court of the Gentiles? That was us. And now we are are allowed to come in and be close with God. In fact, even if you look at chapter 3, verse 6, it says the great mystery of this gospel. It says the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise which is in Christ Jesus. Now, if you study carefully what the gospel message is in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians, it's this. It's that there is a vertical relationship with God now, by His grace, through Christ Jesus, you have a vertical relationship with God. And there's also a horizontal aspect, you need to be right with your fellow men, and that we need to accept people different than us, regardless of anything about them, because of Christ. We are to accept one another. We are one. We're not black Christians, we're not white Christians, we're not Indian Christians, we're not Baptist Christians, we're one. And that is important because, you know how the Apostle Paul applies this? Everybody get this. I love this. Now, how does the Apostle Paul apply the gospel to your life? He says, live out the gospel. Guess how? Like this. Look, like this. Number one, have these attitudes. What attitudes were those? Well, we studied them in the past. And those attitudes are things like this. Ephesians Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Look here. Live up to your calling. What's your calling? Calling is God's calling you out of darkness into light, calling you to himself in salvation. And here's what you're supposed to do. Treat others the way God has treated you. Paul writes, as a prisoner of the Lord, he urges you. I urge you, he says. I I, I plead with you. One translation says, I beg you. And what is that? I beg you to do this. How? How are you supposed to live out your Christianity? Well, how about this? Be completely humble. Remember, it was Augustine who said, the first three things about Christian religion are this. Be humble, be humble, be humble. And there is a sense, folks, In which if we understand the gospel correctly, that we were depraved, enslaved, doomed sinners, left to ourselves, running right into hell, and no one would have stopped us except by his grace, if we understand that, then there ought to be a sense of humility that comes about us. So the way we're supposed to live up to our calling is to be humble, to be gentle, be meek. And remember, that's not weakness, that's power under control. And We talked about this in the past, we don't have time to just for a quick review now. Be patient with people. Not quick to point out their faults, but be patient with people. To, to, to get, treat them as God treated you. Was God patient with you and your faults? So be patient with people. And also, this bear with one another in love. Uh, bear with each other. I, I love that. You remember the, the illustration of bearing with each other? Remember what that is? Come here, Rob. Let me show you Rob a second here, a second. Come up here. R- Rob is, is, is he's crippled and weak and can hardly walk. And you just let your legs go like they're just rubber. And here I am coming along and helping him. I'm bearing him along. He's, he's an easy one because he's a little guy. The other, I picked up some adults before, and they were heavier. I should have used Brad. But the, 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 the point is that we're supposed to bear with each other, care for each other. And, and yet, you know, the, the last place Christians want to go when they have failed is to the church because they're afraid, oh, people are going to say this about me. What are they going to think? That should never happen at this church. We're supposed to bear with each other and care for each other. And then notice the last thing, and we just barely got into this last time, make every effort to lead in unity, to live in unity. Make every effort. Now, that is a very interesting statement. I want you to see this, friends, because listen to what it says. Endeavoring is not nearly strong enough. The King James says endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. What does that mean? It's, it's not very clear. What the word actually means is a zealous effort to care, to spare no effort, to do your utmost in the matter of unity. It's an urgent matter. In fact, it's a present participle, which means it's continuous, diligent activity. And listen to what one man says about this word. This little word, make every effort. See this? Make every effort. That's the translation out of the NIV. Listen to what this word's about. It means we are to spare no effort. And being a present participle, it calls for a continuous, diligent activity. Marcus Barth expresses the same vividly. Expresses the sense vividly, excuse me. It is hardly possible to render exactly the urgency contained in the underlying Greek verb. Not only haste and passion... But a full effort of the whole man is meant, involving his will, sentiment, reason, physical strength, and total attitude. The imperative mood of the participle found in the Greek text excludes passivity, quietism, a wait-and-see attitude, or a diligence tempered by all deliberate speed. Yours is the initiative. Do it now. Mean it. You're to do it. Mean it. Such are the overtones of verse 3. Now, friends, listen to this. What we are supposed to do to live out our Christianity is make every effort, I mean make every effort, to live at peace with all men. Have you ever seen a football player, if you watch any football, there'll be some of those football players that you love to watch, and they hit, and they squirm, and they keep, keep, boy, what a second, what a third effort, and people keep hitting them, and they keep getting up, and they keep going. That's the way it's supposed to be in regards to Christian unity. When it comes to the way we treat each other, we're supposed to make every effort, and please notice the word keep. See the little word keep there? That is the word found in the text, which means to guard, to watch carefully. It's the same word used of the guards watching the tomb of Jesus or of the guards watching Paul while he's in jail. And that is we're supposed to make every effort to keep, to, to guard, to watch over, to, to preserve, to reserve this unity of the Spirit, which is already there, by the way. We don't create it. It's already there. The text says the unity that we have with each other is already made by God. Our job is to keep it and to protect it and to make every effort that we keep at it and that we keep close to one another. Now, let me ask you a question. If this is what the text says, how come there is so much disunity? When's the last time you saw somebody that eager to keep the unity of the Spirit? Do you know what I see? I see Christians all the time that are ready to, be, ready to be divisive and are ready to criticize. I see people all the time that are ready to say, for the sake of truth, because I don't believe in being milquetoast, I want to hold to the text. Well, for all of you text holders... Let me ask you something. Why don't you hold to this text? This text says, "Make every effort to keep unity in the bond of peace." The unity that we have in the spirit, the one spirit that dwells us all, and in the bond of peace, the peace that we have with God through Christ Jesus. The peace that we all have, make every effort, give everything we possibly can. Instead, we see critical, non-accepting attitudes. When's the last time you saw this? When do you see people working at it? You know what I see, Christians? Or they get a little bit offended. Oh, well, if they're going to act that way, then I'll do this. Or I hear people say, do you know what so-and-so did to me? I went to this church, and do you know what happened to this church? This person actually said this to me. Well, you know what that sounds like? It doesn't sound like you're making every effort to keep you in the spirit. It makes like a little puff of wind blows in your face, and you go, oh, I'm just going to quit then. That's what it seems like to me. It seems like there's no guts. Seems like there's no concern about this passage of scripture. We're supposed to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And the word bond of peace, by the way, it's the word bond. There is referring to the ligaments. As the ligaments keep my arm and my fingers and everything so that they can move, and it keeps the body connected. So it is in this area of unity. Now, I, I want to make this comment when, on, at this point right here. I believe completely in the depravity of man, and I believe that we can't hardly begin to know the desperately wicked condition of our own hearts. And I know that this could happen to me, so I say this carefully, but there is something that I cannot understand. I cannot understand how you can call yourself a Christian and be a grudge bearer against another Christian. I don't see how you can call yourself a Christian and not be willing to speak to another Christian. Now, I honestly would tell you, if there's somebody like that in this church, I'm going to go to you and rebuke you myself. Not because I'm the Holy Spirit, because I'm a pastor, and that's sin, and I need to tell you you're wrong. I want you to know this. You can come and say, but pastor, you don't know what so-and-so did to me. And you know my answer back? I don't care what so-and-so did to you. What they did to you doesn't mean that you get to sin back. It's not like one sin versus another sin. Oh, they sin? well, I get to sin back? Good. What I would sort of like that, wouldn't you? It'd be nice to be able to send back. Send back theology, we could call it. The only thing is, is that's not true. Because someone treats you rotten, the Bible says turn the other cheek. Because someone treats you rotten, the Bible says love your enemies. Because someone does something wrong to you, that doesn't give you the right to somehow have a bad attitude. I want to ask you, get right with God. Get all rid of all your pious platitudes and go humble yourself before the people that you've been holding a grudge against and ask them to forgive you. Get right and stop fooling around. That's what it means. Make every effort. But you could say, but that is so hard. You don't know. I would just be so humiliating. Hey, make every effort. Make every effort. By the way, they may not receive you. There is a little verse in the Bible that gives you an out. You know what it is? If possible, as much as it depends upon you, Live at peace with all men. And so maybe they won't hear you. I could come over to Howard and say, Howard, please forgive me. I've had this rotten attitude. And Howard, get out of here. Please, Howard. Slams the door in my face. Howard, please. I could keep trying, but you see, I I don't have to worry about it. Howard's got that rotten attitude. Okay, Which he doesn't have it, by the way. I don't think he does. So look here now. Look back at what this is about. Are you ready? We're supposed to live life worthy of the calling you've received, the first thing is having these attitudes and being diligent about unity. These are the first things about living out the calling. Now look at this. Here's the reason why unity is such a priority. Do you know that the, I heard a pastor say years ago, and I thought, that guy's corny, that, that's, that's crazy. He says, I've never preached a sermon where somewhere in the sermon the unity of the body wasn't mentioned. And I thought, I didn't even quite get what he was saying. But now the more I start to see this, maybe he was correct. And the fact is, the reason why unity is such a priority, get this everybody, mark this down, I love this, it says this, because we have in common, because what we have in common is much greater than our differences. That is interesting. In fact, I want you to see something. Did you hear that? What we have in common is greater than our differences. Now wait, look at this. The apostle, now this is introduction to verses 4 through 6, the apostle is aware of the endless differences among his readers. Listen, this was Ephesus. It was a port city. There were Jews. There were Gentiles. There were blacks. There were people from all around North Africa. They were coming from everywhere. There was Arabs. It was a port city. And there was the church of Jesus Christ meeting in homes all around Ephesus and all around the area. And there were people, and to get this. You want to talk about differences way more than just skin color. I've mentioned in the past, but you imagine all of your life, whatever age you are, think, of whatever age you are down here, Woody, having gone to church, your entire life on Sunday. And suddenly, a prophet comes along, he preaches a different gospel, it actually fits right into the Old Testament, and he dies and rises again, and everyone starts worshiping on Monday. And suddenly, your whole schedule is thrown off. And there you are, everything's changed. Those are the kind of differences we're talking about. I mean, major, major, deep inbred differences among the people. He's aware of their endless differences, but please get this. They're immensely diverse racial and social backgrounds from which they have come into the church. He knows all about that, but everybody, please, look. But he wants them to be even more aware of the spiritual realities that unite them. That's what this passage is about. If you want to know what God the Holy Spirit intended when he gave this passage, it's this. That you would understand the theological reasons for Unity. And how big and how important and how broad they are. And how that we should be united. And you could say, but I can't understand black people. But I can't understand white people. But I can't understand that group. But I don't understand those people with long hair and listen to that crazy music. But I don't understand this. But if they're in Christ, as big as you want to paint those things, they are nothing compared to what we have together in Christ. And you see, you know why it doesn't seem to affect you? You know why this thing doesn't really seem to work? Because the gospel is so puny in our minds. Because we're really not that bad of sinners. God hasn't been that gracious to us. And because of that, here's what it is. We look at the differences without the gospel, and here's different colors of skin, different economic background, different educational background, different ways they worship. I mean, some people do this, and other people might do this, and other people may, you know, do this. Who knows? But you do all these different things. The fact is, those should stack up about this high compared to the gospel of Christ that draws us all together. You see, I've said it until I've worn you out, but my friends, remember, in heaven, it's not going to be the Baptist Church and the Charismatic Church and this church over here singing praises. It's going to be people from every kindred, t- tribe, and tongue singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And it's not going to be all these segments and divisions and all of these things among us. We're going to be as one singing. Those are the truly born of God. And so what we should see is, oh, we have so much in common. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at what we have in common. My goodness, just because his skin is a different color, or just because he's not as educated, or just because of this, or just because of that, what difference does that make? I mean, it, 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 ought, to be, it ought to be like it, it, uh, amazing to even think the fact that we could hold to differences. In fact, notice this. They, they are so great that they should completely transcend all other differences of background. The, the unity we have in Christ is so different. In fact, things like this. The spiritual blessings are now shared between Jew and Gentile. The barriers between them are now broken down. All have equal shares in the privileges of grace. And please get this, everybody. Probably the early, this was an early Christian hymn. Get this, look at verses four through six. Now look. (laughs) This, almost every scholar agrees, was an early Christian hymn. What was? Verses four through six. Paul penned a phrase from a hymn book right into this section to describe it. And look what it is. It says, there is one body... (laughs) one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all through all and in all now i did this rather spontaneously in first service and i'll try it now and i don't know if i could do it let's just imagine what it was like to go to church they sang this hymn so this hymn went something like this we'll put it to amazing grace if i can do it there is one body one spirit am i I on amazing grace (laughs) i'm not anyway i'll keep trying anyway okay just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father who is over all under all and through all something like that in fact I'm sure that was the tune in fact I want to tell you that they got together and they sang this they sang, there's one body. Somehow, at some tune, it went together like this. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, with one God and Father of all. The Christians got together and sang that. Do you know what Jesus' prayer was? His last prayer in John 17, that they may be one. May all those in the future, may they be one, even as we are one. That was his prayer. And, and this was an early Christian hymn. Now, let me ask you something. What keeps people apart today? Race does color of skin, level of income, education, the Christian college you went to. Isn't that true? Or if you didn't go to a Christian college. Or if you went to IU or Purdue or something. The particular doctrine you hold to. I mean non-vitals. I don't mean something that whether or not you go to heaven, I mean non-vitals. Language barrier. When I say non-vitals, they don't mean non-important, but they are a matter of eternal life and death non-vitals is what I'm talking about. Language barriers, methodologies. Now let me ask you this question. On all of those things, Race, money, education, da 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 Will any of this be a factor in heaven? Will any of it be a factor in heaven? Is there going to be in heaven? Now, all of you that made over $100,000 during the years 1980 1995, sing this next verse. You think? No. No, and what's, what's our prayer? May thy will be done on earth as it is where? in heaven you see there's some tremendous reasons for disunity let me tell you some of them pride listen to what Spurgeon said it is quite certain that we shall never keep the unity of the spirit if this church shall declare that it is superior to every other if there be a church which says we are the church and all others are mere sex then it is a troubler in Israel and must hide its head when the unity of the spirit is so much as hinted at Another reason is we care more, just stop and think about it, a lot of the divisions among Christians today really isn't around doctrine, it's around pride. How about this one? We care more for our own cause than for the cause of Christ. The church of Christ is always quarreling, but did you ever hear that the devil, did you ever hear that the devil and his confederates quarrel? They are so, They are so united that if at any special moment the great prince of hell wishes to concentrate all the masses of his army at one particular point, it is done to the tick of the clock, and the temptation comes with its fullest force just when he sees it to be the most likely that he will prevail. If we had such unanimity as that in the church of God, if we all moved at the guidance of the finger of Christ, if all the church could move in one great mass to the attack of a certain evil, how much more easily we might prevail. But alas, the powers of hell far exceed us in unity. That's sad. But three secretaries in a room there's they t- studies that have been done. You put two secretaries in a room and you'll get along. But you put the third person in the room and there's big time trouble. Right away, <laughs> don't know why, but two of them side up against the one. Disunity, it, it, don't you find it easy to criticize? It's so easy to criticize. It's so easy to find fault. It's so easy to say what you don't like about someone else. Listen, you know what Christians do, which is just a terrible sin, I think, and that is someone different than you from some different church or some different background, they've been trained completely different than you, maybe the only thing they've ever known, and God knows their hearts, is different than what you have, and maybe you even are more enlightened than they are, but because you can't understand, you sit back, and you look back, and you just think, they are no good. In fact, I hear Christians who write other Christians off. May God never let that happen to me. Not that I don't get written off. I've already been written off by a lot of people. But I mean, may I never write people off. Because who are you to judge someone else's servant, the Bible says? Who are you to write off another Christian? And, they, and there's Christians that go around, they make such a big deal about something, which I wonder, what is more important, that subject or their attitude? I wonder who's really more important. And we need to be careful, friends, because there is, this is the theological reasons for unity. The differences that we have are, are not nearly to be compared with the unity that we have. And notice this, there's one body. There's one body, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 22, you can look at something real quickly. It says this, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. To be a Christian is to be in Christ. Now listen, in the sight of God, it is not Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Charismatic, Catholic, Christians. In the sight of God is everyone who is a sinner that has repented and trusts Christ and are in Christ make up the body of Christ. And once, I don't care, for whatever reasons you start not being able to accept that, then you are fighting against God yourself. I grew up hearing about the Baptist rapture. Did you ever hear about that? I did. The Baptist rapture. And that is, only the Baptist would be raptured and everybody else would face the great tribulation. That's what I heard. Do you know that Cults are people that say we're the only ones that are right. Everybody else is wrong. Only we are right. That's what they say. You know, a lot of evangelical churches with wrong attitudes become very cultic. If you're not one of us, you're really not in the center of God's will. We've got God boxed. We alone are God's people. Very small, very narrow-minded. But that's what they believe. Look, just to Keep it Ephesians because we're going to come right back there. But I want you to see something in 1 Corinthians 12. Go over there with me for a second, would you? 1 Corinthians 12? Paul now is talking about giftedness and so the subject is a little bit changed but under this point of one body I want you to see something. It says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12 if you go there a second 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12 it says this the body is a unit Though it, is all, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Now get this. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now friends... Here in the area of giftedness, it talks about the entire body, and it's talking about how important it is that you're related to the entire body. Now, just think with me a second. If my thumb, I've used this before, I realize, but if my thumb suddenly, right now in the middle of this service, decided that it wanted to leave, it can't. Yeah, here it goes. He's trying to leave, but it can't because it's connected. Now, please get this. You and your spiritual gift and your makeup in the body is just a part of the body. That means this. What good is my thumb by itself? Tell me, would you pick up a thumb that was hitchhiking? Come on, if you're driving home today, going down 465, and there you look, and you go, what was that, honey? Oh, it looked like a thumb. (laughs) Would you stop and say, hey, pal, where are you going? You wouldn't. And the thing I want you to see is this. Christian, the whole idea of giftedness, the whole idea of being a part of the body is unity. The thumb is only useful when it does what? What? When my left thumb acts like a left thumb and does what a left thumb is supposed to do. That's when it's useful to the body. And one of the things that Paul says is this, look, we're one body. And we need to understand that. And and, and it's not this individualism of our day where everybody's out there for himself and what's best for me. No, no. It's what's best for the body. And you're concerned about the body. How about this? One Spirit. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Did you notice verse 13 we just read? It says, for we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given one Spirit to drink. The presence of the Spirit constitutes the true church. Paul says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit of God comes and dwells in us and makes us new and, and we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, when we receive Christ, the Scripture teaches us that we're complete in Him and we have the Spirit. Then I'll tell you, friends, then we are, everybody who has that Spirit has the blessing of God and you aren't more favored than someone else. There is one Spirit, there's one body. Please get this, there's one hope to which you were called. Now, this hope is a tremendous word. It's not the kind of hope like the guy's up the bat and he hopes that he's going to get a hit. This is the kind of hope in which you absolutely know for sure, a confident expectation that you're going to heaven, a confident expectation that Jesus Christ is going to come and, and rule and that you have been blessed to be one of his children. It's a confident hope. You know. It says we know that we have eternal life, the scripture talks about. It's not some uncertain guessing that we hope we're going to make it and the good works are going to outweigh the bads. No, the gospel is that we know it. we have this same hope. There's one hope, and get this. The hope is that we're all going to be going to heaven. And just to show you how mixed up we are, I remember... An independent fundamental Christian school in Montrose, Colorado, where I was the youth pastor for three summers, and when you, there were some people in our church that called up to try to get a job there teaching. And when they called up, the first question they asked on the phone, even before, and they actually said, we don't even want your resume if you don't answer this question correctly. What is it? Are you a premillennial pre-tribulationist? Not, are you a Christian? Not, uh, are you growing in the Lord? But are you a premillennial pre-tribulationist? So a lot of you don't even know what that is. You ought to try to find out, because it's good to know theology. But those of you that do know what it is, uh, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's amazing to realize how off-centered we can get and how we can get the, the, the cart pulling the horse. You know, all people in Christ will be in heaven with you, whether or not you like it or not. I've got to tell you this story. I, I hope it helps you. The first service, I used it, and I'm going to have to change it, because I, I, I made a mess of things in first service. But I want you to think of this story that I've heard <laughs> uh, and take it in the right way, and remember, it's just a story. You know, the only way to heaven is through Christ, And so when you go to heaven, you enter heaven, and there it says, "Through Jesus Christ, you come or something, we'll just say. And you enter heaven through Christ." No other way. And then, but once you got into heaven, in this particular story, there was doors that you had to find. And that door was dependent on what church you went to. And, and some of the doors were gigantic. You know, the Methodist door was huge. <laughs> and then there, was, there were other doors. And they kept getting smaller. And smaller and smaller and smaller. And you came around, and there was the, the, the fundamental Baptist door, and it was only about that big. It was real small, and you had to get you know, sort of uncomfortable to crawl through it. But this person that was up there, this man that was up there, had been a holiness preacher. And he kept looking for his doors, and they kept getting smaller and smaller. He's saying, My goodness, I hope my denomination is up here. Remember, he's already in heaven because he came through Christ. And all of a sudden, he looks, and his door's this big. And he was sort of a heavy-set guy. And in this story, he hadn't had his glorified body yet, I guess, or something. And he's crawling in there, and he has to scrape. I'm not kidding, he's getting bruises and scrapes on his arms and his legs, and he's pushing himself through, and he's just squirming and fighting through. And finally, after just sweat and toil, he gets through and he looks and he's in the same room that everybody else was in. Okay, my point is there's one hope here, friends, all right? Some of you make it a little harder. You know you come through Christ and you make it a little harder maybe than you have to. But the fact is, is this, there is one hope, and that is in Christ Jesus, we're all going to the same place. Look at this, one Lord. One man said, it's neither personal ambition, nor party spirit, nor disputes about non-essentials that will be allowed to break such unity. Calvin said, and boy, we need to remember this. He said in his institutes right at the very beginning, let's emphasize what the Bible emphasizes the way the Bible emphasizes it. There is one Lord that we're living for. And there's one person. and, and, And we understand the closer you walk to God, the closer you're going to get to each other from 1 John. And I'll tell you something. We need to stop having such arrogant attitudes and start loving each other instead of constantly feeling that people are inferior or below us or beneath us and i'll talk more in just a second about well what about times when you truly disagree over theological matters what should you do well there's some, i will address that in a minute but let's let's this sort of ties in right here one faith you know what this word is referring to it's not talking about everyone believes in christ no everyone who believes in christ is saved but this is talking about the one faith that is that is the the body of vital truths concerning christ and the gospel it is the idea of contending for the faith that has been once and for all delivered to the saints. And that is this idea of the truth of the gospel that has been given. There is one faith. And, and I'll tell you, now listen carefully now to this point, because we had, during my Sunday school class, people that were in first service had some questions about this, and I, I went over it once, but I want to make sure you get this. What would the Apostle Paul do, now listen carefully, when differences in essential doctrine and contradictions in ethical teaching came up? Well, he would strive to uphold the way of Christ. What we mean by that is this, friends. In Galatians and in Romans, he's very intense and he's unwavering. He says to the Galatians, those of you that are preaching a false gospel, may the knife slip and they emasculate themselves. And he says in 10, he says, oh, I would give my own soul if the Israelites would come, for they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And he clearly condemns people that are going to go to hell because sincerity is not enough. And so there would be a very intense, unwavering commitment to the gospel, to the faith that has been committed, the fact of Jesus and who He is and what He's done, and the fact that salvation is by faith alone in Him, and, and by the fact that uh, of what the Scriptures concerns, this body of truth. But when there's areas that are, maybe we would call them gray, or areas that are different outside of that, then on those things, Romans 14 and 15, 1 Corinthians 8 come into play. And when differences are merely superficial or because of selfishness of individual members, he would toil and fight for the breaking down of barriers and for the working out of genuine fellowship. And so I am not saying that we just accept everybody and we say, oh, this man is a Mormon. Oh, this man is a Jehovah Witness. Oh, this man is a a Hindu. Oh, well, we're all trying for God. No, that is not at all what I'm saying. Salvation is by faith in Christ alone. And the way of the gospel is to realize that there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, not many Lords, one baptism into the gospel. Not, that's next. One baptism into the gospel. There's one if There's one Holy Spirit. There's one body referring to the body of Christ. So make sure you don't get me mixed up here. We're talking about one. But at the same time, when Christians who are truly one here disagree and, and somebody over here is, is some kind of dispensationalist and somebody over here is some kind of covenant theologian and someone over here is somebody else and, and, and everybody dislikes and hates each other, th- th- that's wrong. What we do need to do is we do need to hold to the truth, we do need to examine the scriptures, but we need to be so very careful in how we go about disagreeing and how we go about dealing with our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And please notice this, there's one baptism. That's the outward sign of faith, no matter which way you take it. Uh, that is, if it's believing faith, of the, of this faith here is believing faith, or whether it's the faith of the body of, of truth that has been once and for all delivered to the saints. But this baptism is instituted by the Lord himself. And I want to say this, are you a professing Christian? and you've refused to be baptized, you need to get baptized. Just so take the book of Acts and read through it and see what happens to everybody that gets baptized. Or Excuse me, that gets saved. They get baptized. And take some time and realize that if it's public identification with Jesus Christ, his rules make it up, and it's water baptism. And you can see it again and again and again. I've got several references we don't have time to look at right now in the book of Acts that teach this. One baptism. And then, quickly, for the sake of time, one God and Father who is over all, and in all, and through all. We'll talk maybe more about that at another time. But I want to tell you this. Now listen, let me say it again. The Lord's Prayer in John 17, may they be one even as we are one. And listen, when dealing with one who believes they earn favor with God, when believing with one who believes that by going door to door, or by being faithful at a church, or by living according to the rules of the church, or the morals of the day, or by being good and never hurting anyone, Don't give in. If they believe that they're a Christian, but they don't understand that it is by faith in Christ alone that they're saved, and they have not repented and turned to Christ for salvation, then don't give in no matter how sincere and nice and kind they may be, because, my friends, the devil is going to appear, an angel of light is going to be very sincere and nice and kind. Be respectful, be gentle, fearing God, but at the same time hold to the truth and never waver. But don't, my friends, handle believers who are sound in the faith in the way that christ can save and know the true body of doctrine that's been committed to christ don't with them be ugly and demeaning and attacking and sowing discord among the brothers in fact i'll tell you something if you're afraid of someone who holds a theology different than you you know they're a christian but they hold a theology different, and you're afraid of them then my friends you're insecure in your own position and you need to study the scriptures even more carefully as to what you believe because there needs to be this kindness and gentleness i learned it from james montgomery boyce the Presbyterian pastor in 10th Presbyterian Church Philadelphia, and he's still on the radio these days, and if you ever hear him disagree with someone, it's so beautiful. He says, now my friends from Dallas Seminary, they are good men, and they love the Lord, and they be- I'm so thankful for their contrib- contributions to the body of Christ. But I must say that on this area, they're out to lunch or something. They'll say something, he'll say something not quite out to lunch, he'll say it much more gracefully than that, but he'll say something different. That's the way to go about it. That's the way you demonstrate unity to the world. You see, unity, by the way, I didn't get to show you this. Where is it? Down, down here. Look here. Unity is not to be viewed as uniformity. This is next week. To each one of us, in the middle of this oneness and this body and this commitment for unity, there's still the individual now is going to be referred to in, in the next 7 through 12 of this passage coming up. But, but I want you to see, friends, how important it is. Now I want to close by demonstrating it, and I need some friends. Do I have some kids up here? Could I, All the little kids right here, come on up here. Any of these kids right here in that row? Would you come up here a second? Come here. I'm going to lasso you, okay? Now, hop on down here. Hop on right on down there, all the kids. Yeah, we need a few more. We need a couple more. Come on up. If you're a kid. Don't be ashamed to be a kid. Come on up. Here. That's it. Here, straighten that rope out. Here, take this side. I'll straighten it out. I've used something like this in the past, but I want to show you again. Okay, come on, kids, grab that rope. Let's be a little aggressive here. Grab that rope. All right, you got it? Now, you're, you're all on the same team over there. You're against me. Get over there on that end. Just get down to that end. Get in there, Joe. Grab it. Hey, come on, you're pulling against me. I'm going to pull you guys. You pull against me. Oh, oh, Man. Okay, look. I don't have a chance. Did you get to see that over there? I don't have a chance. These little kids, you remember one time we had a great big muscle-bound guy? I'm to kid you, the strongest guy in this room couldn't hold these kids. They'll just drag me right across. I, I represent the world, the flesh, and the devil. You can all say amen to that, right? But here I am, here I am pulling, I was try to get, look at, it. Oh, I don't have a chance, <laughs> I'm serious, are you alright, alright, now, hold on, now, just for real quick for the sake of illustration, let me try one more thing, come on up here kids, now everybody spread out all the way around, all the way around, come on, spread around, all the way around by me, come on over here, now watch, come right on out in here, grab it, now, let's bicker a little bit before we start, you say, I don't like the way you're holding the rope. Or that's not the way we pull at our church. You can say that. Now it's all pull. Pull the same direction you're, the, the, you're, wherever you are. You just pull that same direction. Look, we're not going anywhere. Okay, stop, 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 stop. Okay, look. Thanks, kids. Go back, and they did a good job, huh? Now look. The point is, the world's going to hell. The gospel's not going out. And we're all sitting around complaining about who, how we pull on the rope. Let's wake up and be committed to unity, to love each other. We have a whole lot more in Christ that makes us similar, that makes us different. Let's start thinking about the similarities we have that we're sinners, saved by grace, loving Jesus Christ, rather than all of the things that we don't like about each other. Okay? That's your message for this Sunday. Let's pray. Father... Please help us to learn how to endeavor, how to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Show us how to love one another. We don't want to be wimps and give up on truth, but at the same time, we want to know how to lovingly debate and care, not with pride on the line, but with truth on the line. For those who disagree with us, and Father, make us a loving church. Help us not to be the kind that write people off. Help us to be those that strive Help us to to care about the doctrine of unity and the importance of making every effort to care for one another because there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, one spirit. And Father, we, we need you to help us now. Apply this to our lives. Amen.
0: And that concludes today's expository word. Please join us again for more classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Take care.